agrarian, agrarian-based society than um, from the Hindu perspective, grains are the are the main uh, main food, if you will, and karma is thought to be uh, transferred through the grains. <clears throat> so. Um, Uh, the wonderful thing uh, about uh, Krishna Bhakti is that at this very uh, baseline, if you will, that we need to eat to survive, kind of the bottom line, hmm? that, uh, that that's this very bottom line of our material existence can be, can be, can be purified, which obviously would have implications for the rest of our life. If you, if you purify it, at the bottom line, well, um, you got their purification at the foundation, if you will. And so the idea is that by transforming the food that one eats through through the, through the ritual of offering hmm, to Bhagwan, um, that that act um, engaged in for sustenance, which is a taking from the environment, the taking is taken out of it hmm? because you've offered it to Bhagwan. Hmm? So at the, at the bottom line, is also we could say we're takers in this world. It's a world of karma is the realm of uh, exploitation. So we take that out at the very, very baseline, if you will, of our uh, existence through offering the food that we um, Consume and in, 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 you know, in, in an ideal sense uh, of a devotee's life, um, he or she is thought not to eat because everything that is consumed has been offered. And instead of eating, one is honoring the remnants of what Bhagavan has eaten by way of eating them. Mm -hmm. But um, eating in 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 in, a, in this kind of a theological sense is transcended, mm -hmm. um, and the implications of eating, which is taking, which is the baseline of our existence to take to live. So now we're giving to live, mm -hmm. and um, at such a basic, a foundational uh, level. Um, just some thoughts um, in general. Uh, that said, um, I think it's uh, fair to conclude that that all all prashadam is not the same. Uh, it depends on the um, what's being offered uh, how, with with what uh, measure. Of devotion, it's being offered, um, um, and, um, and, and 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 so on. So sometimes the term is, you know, used pretty pretty loosely. I think that there are a lot of instances in which devotees in real life situations, um, even in let's say even in Gorilla, are eating. Uh, um, 
in certain instances where there isn't a formal offering. Um, another way to talk about that is that it's it's thought that the Kanishtadakari offers the food at the altar with all the rituals and prescribed practices, mantras, and so on and so forth. Hmm. Whereas the Madhya Madhikari, the intermediate devotee, is consumed by a life of devotion hmm. um, rather than taking time out from one's life for devotion. Hmm. In the case of the, the, the neophyte, the Kanishtadikari, um, who needs to go to the temple to see God. Hmm. As I've said before, some people say, why does God need a temple? We could say he doesn't, but you need a temple because he's everywhere, but you can't see him anywhere. So we're going to put him here. So you can see him here, go here, relate to him as, as one should. And eventually you'll start to see him everywhere. The universality of the deity will uh, be revealed. So the intermediate devotee's life, his or her life is consumed by bhakti. And um, so there's some sense that everything that she does, that devotee, is done in the consciousness of, of an offering. So there may not be a formal offering required. And then there's another idea that the Uttamadhikari accepts whatever is given to him as Krishna's supplying. <laughs> so it's Krishna's prasadam. <laughs> he only sees Krishna everywhere in everything. So if someone supplies him, food, he thinks that you may be the instrument, madam, but Krishna is sending him, and that's the consciousness in which he lives. So the whole world becomes, everything becomes Krishna's grace. If you will, prasada means grace, mercy. So uh, obviously there are different uh, ways of thinking about that and different, uh, like the offerings in Jagannath Puri are thought to be special because there they have the deity of Jagannath and uh, there's 60, I think 64 offerings a day. And there's, I don't know how many kitchens there are in that temple. There's like lots of them, um, maybe over 50, 50 kitchens. So there's like all the cooking is a real big thing there for, for Jagannath. So that's Prashad is thought to be special. So much is put into that. So they're uh, and it's taken and you know brought distant places and given and um, and and so on. Um, and some devotees uh, at one point in in, in Raghunath Das Goswami's life, he 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 would eat only what was had been offered to Jagannath, and was brought out from the temple by patrons or devotees. And, uh, and then who gave him as a beggar, a little bit here, a little bit there, and that would be his, his meal. So that, that's an instance of living on prasadam and not eating, so to speak. Um, but that's a high standard. Um, to go further than that, he, he used to get money from his parents and then he would hold big festivals and cook and and bring, invite all the devotees in Jagannath Puri and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and serve them. And then he gave that up and he just became a beggar. And then after that, he gave up the begging and he used to go to the 
to the uh, area where the where the pots were cleaned, and when there was some leftover, it was given to the to the cows a little bit here and there, and then whatever was left over from that, he would take it and clean it, and he would eat it. And then when Mahabhu heard about that, he went and found him and snatched a piece of rice from his hand and said, again, you're having festivals and not inviting me. Hmm. Um, so, um, so that, you know, different uh, levels of prashad, but it's kind of what your, what your question is about. Um, um, but can an impure person offer to Krishna and are his impurities carried into the into the offering or in some measure are they removed? I would think that we would um, conclude the, the latter. Hmm? So his devotion or her devotion may, may be mixed uh, and it may have less power, so to speak, uh, than an offering really done conscientiously with love and and so forth, maybe out of routine, uh, something's better than nothing. But I don't think there's anything negative that we can derive uh, from such. And, and extend this concept, of course, across culturally, there's a strong sense in, I think most religious traditions of, like in the Christian tradition, they say, you know, like say grace around the table, thank God for the, um, the bounty um, and so forth. It's uh, not quite the same, um, but um, connected. Hmm. Um, so uh, I think that um, another way to look at your experience is that it, perhaps is that in the context of one's own purification, things may stir up. Hmm. So if you decide to clean your room, it can get pretty dirty when you lift the rug and, oh my God, and then you sweep and it's all over. So um, maybe something like that. <laughs> Stirred up some things that now have to be, that you didn't know were there, and thoughts, and then, oh, and then you have to let, let them go. Mahaprasad Kijai. Okay. Yeah, I think that's why I wanted to say that I, I don't want to blame the prasad. I just want to you know to find the yeah the the reason. Okay, thank you very much. Hey, very nice comprehensive answer there, um, Eric. You have to unmute yourself. Morning, Maharaj, uh, Dandavats, Hare Krishna. Um, so my question this time is uh, regarding a quote from Srila Sridhar Maharaj that I was reading the other day from one of his books regarding uh, independence and omnipotence of Krishna. Um, it's just to read a little bit of it to preface the question. Um, God is not a constitutional king, but he is an autocrat. To work for an autocrat is the highest conception of sacrifice. Um what degree of selflessness and courage is required to work for an autocrat, a despot, a liar who is up to anything? Not only that, his normal position is such. It is not a temporary temperament, but is his 
eternal inner nature. Krishna is an autocrat because law emanates from him. An autocrat is above law. Um, and so this was a bit confusing to me, or I guess uh, trying to understand this because at the same time of uh, Krishna's omnipotence or independence, um, it seems like in most uh, traditions, including the Gaudiya uh, tradition or understanding of God, that he also has other characteristics like being omnibenevolent and being merciful and, you know, uh, has sort of like a, in a sense, like certain characteristics of his that kind of guide what he does, but I guess not because he's forced to, but because he has, he's supreme and it's his personality or nature, like being like those are aspects of like the definition of God. So, but this quote, at least to me, it seemed like it was uh, indicating that his independence is paramount and could even potentially transgress or contradict the other aspects of his character. And uh, I guess it seems like it could potentially open the door to other theological complications regarding like logical contradiction or at least apparent logical contradictions about like God's character, so to speak. So I guess I just wanted to get your input on, uh, on this topic and how to understand it properly. Well, um, In one sense, Pujapachita uh, Marge may be implicitly um, making a comparison between some other religious, religious traditions. Um, uh, where, for example, in some sectors of Christianity, there seems to be a strong idea that there's God and that God has a competitor in the form of Satan, and sometimes Satan wins, I guess, and sometimes God wins, um, which is very foreign to to my 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 thinking, and it it, it seems to bring into question the omnipotence of um, of the Godhead that he has a competitor. So, comparatively, Krishna has no uh, competitor. He's omnipotent. He's independent. He can do whatever he likes. Um, yes, um, he is above the law because he makes the laws, as Sridhar Marsh said. But that said, the land, if you will, in which he lives, that is uh, the, the country of, of love the domain of love. So in love, as I've said at times, where there's love, there are no laws. Where there are laws, there is no love. Or to the extent to which there are laws, love is, la is, is, is lacking. To the extent to which there is love, there's no need for law. Hmm? Prabhupada had an idea that the laws by which his uh, society, International Society for Krishna Consciousness would be governed where love and trust. So if those things are in place, then you don't need to make all kinds of laws and regulations to control people and um, and so forth. So Braj Lila, where Swayam Bhagavan resides, is a, is a domain of love, and there's no need for laws there. Um, he's 
beyond even the, the Upanishadic dictums and so forth. However, what is that realm? It is the interaction between himself and his um, devotees, between himself and Radha, for example. And there we see that while he is above law, he is controlled by love. And in one sense, as the ultimate autocrat, he controls Krishna, others, by love rather than by law. In other expansions of himself, maybe they may be presided by law and and so forth. But Raj Krishna, um, we want to say that in love there is the greatest power and force. Hmm? Um, so, um, so he is. Uh, now, when we say that he's ruled by love, this doesn't bring in his his omnipotence into question because that love is his own internal shakti. It's called his swarup shakti. So it's it's the, the shakti that uh, that defines him, so to speak, um, uh, his own character and person and, and so forth. So he who is omnipotent is at the same time controlled by love. Mm-hmm. And um, um, that does not, I want to say, interfere with his independence with regard to the to the world where love is lacking. So when we speak about the the omnipotence of me of God, we're kind of speaking of it in relation to to this world. Hmm? He can't be controlled by it. He cannot be, uh, he's not governed by it. He's independent of it. Nothing in this world can, uh, there's no Satan, you know, to comp- he has no, no competitor. Whereas in his own personal life and realm, well, that's another thing. Now, the Maya Shakti is not present there, but his own Sarup Shakti, which makes possible the two for love, the object of love and the love itself, um, has to be two. So that makes it makes it possible. And under that influence, then we can say that he, he, he who is omnipotent is controlled. He who is the original guru becomes a disciple in the in the uh, in the, the dancing the dance uh, Prem Vidyalai you know, the, the, the school of love the dance of Radha so I don't know you know if I answered your question I'm not sure what it was you just kind of wanted me to talk I think about omnipotence and uh, and and what? What, did, what? Does that help, or is, is there? Did I? Maybe I missed something. Oh yes, that helps a lot. Um, I guess to uh, be more concise, I guess I uh, 
just wanted to understand like does um krishna's independence or omnipotence mean that he can like contradict his aspects of being merciful or omnibenevolent or things like that was yeah <laughs> something like kind of it's in a little different but it reminds me of the question of if god is all potent all omnipotent then can he make a stone heavier than he can lift that's kind of what you're asking hmm? right yes yeah more, more or less <laughs> Prabhupada answered that question he said yes he can do that and then he will lift it <laughs> he can make a stone heavier than he can lift, and then he will lift it also. So it's kind of like, don't overthink it here. Um, um, there's another thought, and I can't bring it to fruition. It's, uh, um, related uh, a reference, but, um, But um, you could say he can do anything, but um, I think Pujapashitamash said, well, he, you know, he, he, the laws of nature come from him. He could change the laws of nature. Um, so laws are flexible and subject to the lawmaker so what we think is impossible is is not impossible uh for him but then you know that requires to understand that going to another realm where impossible is not found in the dictionary what may be logically impossible hmm, doesn't doesn't have to pertain to to, to one who is transcendent to logic hmm, and the limitations of logic so we want to confine God within the limitations of what we logically find to be impossible in our particular realm of experience, which is, you know, uh, very provincial. Uh, it's not the whole picture by any means. So the Shastra tells us that uh, some things are inconceivable, which means that there's, 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 in love itself is. I mean, love is not logical in a sense. It would be logical that if you give, which is the heart of loving, you would have less, but you have, you end up having more. Um, so it's a very impoverished idea that um, everything should conform to uh, to one's uh, uh, reasoning capacity. Therefore, we have a trans rational practices chanting is not it's not unreasonable to chant but the chanting itself is not a rational exercise it's a transrational exercise the descriptions of krishna and krishna leela uh, are also put in words that um like poetry and so they, they seek to express things that um that uh logical and kind of scientific mathematical language can't 
um, they can't uh, express. Hmm. So, yeah, hope that helps. Oh, yes, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Maureen. Um, Rajabumi, you need to unmute yourself. That's your question. Respects and well wishes to you, Guru Maharaj. Thank you Thanks. for your presence this morning. Um, my question is a, a bit difficult for me to articulate, and I want to try to do it without being taking up too much time. But um, it it relates to the um, sort of debate between that's an ongoing probably forever in humanity, but between the significance of the sub subjective and the objective experience. And um, there was in the 60s, uh, some scientists doing some experiments with animals and he, he was concerned about, because it was new, the industrial revolution and the abundance of food and, and goods and things. And he, he was concerned like what's going to happen psychologically to society when they have everything, their basic needs met. What's because that's been their whole focus up until then was just survival mostly. So what in, and the animals, they became really obsessed with social status to the point where that became their whole focus. And they even sacrificed their well being and their health and their survival. In fact, in his experiments, he had to cut them short because they were going extinct. They were all dying off because of something he called behavioral sync, which was uh, just a, a degeneration of uh, society, so to speak, on the animal platform. But people argued against his conclusion, saying that humans do something more than just become obsessed with social status. They also become interested in things like social justice and uh, improving the quality of relationships, not just the quality of physical survival and comforts. And uh, one of the things that I've noticed is that as we become divorced from those physical basic necessities of nature, we when we have an abundance of that stuff and we don't have to really worry about it, we kind of get into a bubble of consciousness that is based on what everybody believes. In our imagination, we have this view of the world and it becomes substantiated. That's also some documented psychology, you know, observations that people will feel substantiated when they all believe the same thing. It doesn't matter if it's real or not. In fact, they'll even facts presented to them, objective facts, they'll reject that if it means going against whatever, you know, the status quo, what everyone believes, because they fear being um, outcasted or seen as weird. So they get so divorced from the reality of the world that, as we can see, you know, we're, our environment's suffering and we're in, in danger of extinction, according to scientists, which is similar to what this scientist had predicted back in the 60s when he was doing these experiments. In terms of spiritual life, I'm, I feel like, uh, yeah, we are pretty much seeing the world in our imagination, but uh, at some point, if our philosophy helps us to shape our imagination, it helps us to shape our mind to the 
a, a way that's appealing to Krishna. And then if he enters into that imaginary place, so to speak, to receive our love, then it becomes substantiated. Then the sub subjective becomes real, I guess you could say, in terms of feeling and heart and love, the relationships there, then the kind of the details and the objectives matters less and less. Um, but in, in terms of practical life, how conscientious should we be about divorcing ourselves from like the realities of the world and letting ourselves get in this bubble of just believing what everybody around us believes and not questioning it, fearing questioning it and sort of abandoning critical thought, denying science or whatever, and just in the name of faith kind of living in this imaginary world while the relative real world crumbles around us uh, in sp spiritual life i'm i feel like maybe we sh it would be healthier if we were more practical and more critical thinking and and like questioning those common beliefs but mm -hmm. i wanted to get your perspective on that yeah well that's quite a question <laughs> covered a lot of ground there hard to keep up with it all but um i'll try to reply to some of the themes there that you've mentioned. One thing I think, uh, first of all, overall, is this subjective and objective perspective. And, and um, I think that the fact is that, that there is no such thing as a purely objective perspective. Um, you can't get at the ver you know, nature and its virgin, virgin state. You always have to... Um, you experience it through the filter of your, you know, his own subjectivity. I'm sure that's what Immanuel Kant was saying, among other things. Um, um, and um, um, so that said, of course, a lot of things have been demonstrated to be, you know, objectively you know true and verifiable as much as uh, in, in a, to a greater extent than uh, they were in pre-industrial pre-scientific uh, revolution times and so forth and so this sense of objective reality has become so prominent that subjective reality has uh, really been um, minimized and put on the back seat, if not uh, dismissed altogether. If you can't demonstrate it objectively, then it, you know it's not true. So it, it, the things are a little out of balance in in, in that regard. Um, uh, you know, pure subjectivity idealism is is not a philosophical perspective that is. Uh, in uh, in favor at this time, but it, it it's not something that's been you can objectively, if you will, invalidate either. Um, so um, we overall, as transcendentalists, would give more uh, credence to subjective uh, reality. 
than the objective reality. We would look at the objective reality coming out of the subjective reality. So like the physical world comes out of the mental world, if you will. Um, you know, the, 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 the dominant perspective is, 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 is the opposite. Um, if there is a mental world at all and everything's prepared to be reduced to the, to the physical. So, you know, we are more on the, on, on the other side. We don't say there's no uh, objective world, but uh, there's something called matter and um, it's rather magical. And um, how it shows itself, uh, well, beauty's an eye of the beholder. So again, uh, the subjective is is uh, is um, kind of rules rules the day, so to speak. Um, and so, uh, you know, as I just thought about that in in general. Um, um, but um, as far as uh, living in a spiritual uh, bubble. I don't think that that's what we're really, really teaching, although maybe a lot of the devotees take it like that. Um, you know, the uh, time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and the time of the, the founding Acharyas of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, they, they were very much aware of the world around them, what was taking place. Uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was a social reformer at the same time, he was uh, uh, giving a, an exemplifying a means to transcend the um, the social, social and even religious world. Um, he, you know, he he caused a uh, uh, he led a protest against the Kazi uh, and. Um, and uh, and prevailed and, and so forth. Um, and if you look at Chaitanya Charitra meeting, you see that the, the participants are, you know, they're, they're in Jagannath Puri, there's the king, Pratapuru de Maharaj, he has his position. It's not that they were unaware of what was going on socially. What, there were invaders, uh, Muslims who were mostly, mostly kept out of Puri, but they were conquering other Hindu kingdoms and so forth. Uh, Sanatana Goswami, uh, worked, uh, was employed by the uh, Muslim government, and then he left and was imprisoned, and then he escaped and um, traveled incognito to avoid the government. Um, dressed himself like a like a like a Sufi um, rather than as a Hindu, and so I mean they were the Goswamis in Vrindavan. They were dealing with. Uh, different kings and getting their patronage um, and thus their visions of Krishna Leela were honored and monuments built, uh, temples built to, 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 to uh, honor the, their visions and so forth. So they were, uh, you know, very much part of the world. I mean, transcendentalism, if you will, has really been pushed to the fringe in a modern materialistic society. Um, so there may be a tendency just to step out of the world altogether um, and live in a bubble, as, as, as you put it. There's a way to do that, I think, that, that is useful. But 
it's not something that everybody can do. Who everybody who is a devotee, who's a card-carrying member of of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, um, they have to work, they live, they have families, um, they live in the world, and and they uh, interact with other people and their perspectives and so on and forth. So they're not living like renunciates in in the forest. And even if you take at least in our paribar, the renunciates are tend to be um, teachers, and so you know they 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 really to be effective, they need to be aware of the world around them, the currents of thought, and so forth. We see that in the Goswamis of Vrindavan; they were fully aware of the currents of thought in this in the principal philosophical systems of their time, and that's you can see that in their commentaries on the Bhagavatam and so forth. So um, while it's possible to be, you know, uh, an extreme recluse, um, and um, that's not uh, possible for, for, for everybody. And um, so I don't think the teaching is necessarily that we should live in a bubble and uh, not be concerned about the world around us. I mean, there's the other side of it, you know, and, in a, in a, in a, of changing the world. Hmm. Yes, for an ultimate good that's transcendent to it, but in the context of that, making the world a better place and, and so forth. Um, You know, these, these themes are there in Chaitanya Vaishnavism from the very, very, very onset. So, um, A devotee should be a critical uh, uh, thinker um, and not hide his or her head in, in the sand. Um, I may comment about the political administration here for the first time after all these years um, on the internet and you to share it with somebody and then some god brother said, well, at least you would be objective. And I didn't reply because, you know, to have an opinion is not to be does not mean you're you're not being a, um, or he said at least you could be unbiased. It's not that an opinion having an opinion means that you're biased. You should have an opinion based on unbiased research of the facts. Research the facts without a bias. Weigh them out and come to a, 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 an unbiased opinion, and it may be a strong one. Hmm? Um, so, you know, that, that, that said, I mean, very, there, there's a fallacy that's, I guess you could say that many religious people entertain and devotees included that uh, spiritual life is, uh, is uh, something in which you don't have to think anymore, which, which is problem, problem, troublesome sort things out to come to you know what the right what's the wrong and um in any given instance and and that somebody else is going to now think for you and just you know all the answers are there in the book they just turn to page 108 and there's your answer i mean that's just not how it works it's uh you have to think critically about your own tradition hmm? you know you get within the bubble if you will you have for example, 
other some of my god brothers or god sisters there's a controversy of whether it's come about whether whether the jivatma comes to this world as a conditioned jiva having originated in the, in the, in Baikuntha or or not you know well the answer is not but anyway um, some of them just want to stick their head in the sand and say well I don't, I don't know I, I don't know the answer uh, you know it's just I don't want to think about it I, you know too much for me uh, you know that's um, That's uh, not the best approach. Let's put it like that. Uh, and, and you know, it's it's uh, is emotionally driven kind of response that uh, makes you, you know, half of a person. Spiritual life is not to be half human. And a lot of devotees I see, they're I see they're not quite fully human yet. They're devotees though, and there are animals that are devotees too. Hmm. We have some here. Um, so I'm, I'm sorry to say it, but it's but it's true. They're they're not whole people, hmm? um, and uh, if if intelligence, as it's sometimes thought, um, and the measure of it that we find available in human society, uh, distinguishes us from less complex forms of life, hmm? then we ha- each of us has enough measure of intelligence. We're not all geniuses. Uh, least of all me, but we have, we all have, are equipped with enough intelligence to rise above our emotions hmm? and make a decision hmm? based on information uh, and that we measure and um, think um, critically about the faculty of discrimination. Hmm? that is I'm supposed to do something no it's fine no, excuse me uh, technical difficulties here uh, no uh, it's okay thank you uh, the fa- uh, uh, intelligence is our faculty of uh, discrimination hmm. so uh, we all have enough as I say to rise above the uh, an emotionally, a feeling, not well thought out, driven life. Again, if you, animals are not like using that faculty, don't have the same measure of intelligence. So they're largely driven by feelings. Hmm? Well, um, yes, we want feelings. We want transcendental feelings and we want to, uh, uh, um, use our intelligence spiritually to transcend the um, material emotional um, life. So, um, yeah, I think that. Uh, it's not that you have to tune into everything that's going on in the world, but sometimes the world around us speaks loudly um, and warrants that we have to, you know, think about it and 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 make a uh, statement about it, uh, take a position on it. There's the Vyavaharic 
reality and the paramartic reality, the empiric reality in which we live. And then there, there's a transcendent reality that we experience in our meditation, which is our goal to ent enter into. Um, um, but what I think that, uh, look at persons like Bhakti Vinod, I mean, he was pretty well thought out on so many levels. Hmm? Um, and that—that uh, um, that was his idea of a Saragrahi Vaishnava. He was, a, he, was a, he was actually a thinking, a fully developed thinking person, a critical uh, thinker, um, if you will, um, who, who arrives at a transcendental, uh, you know, c conclusion. So um, it depends on the scale, you know, where we are at in our progress the extent to which we can um, unplug from the world around us in a way that will actually foster our progress or the extent to which we really are plugged into the world and, and need to participate in it from a Krishna conscious point of view in order to make progress. So, so we shouldn't reject the scientific process, but we should use it to I mean, science is, you touch fire, it burns. You touch fire, it burns. She touches fire, it burns. Touch fire, it burns. That's science. I mean, you know, who's, how can you reject that? Now, well, a lot of, a lot of now, our community now, are. Now, now, that said, every conjecture that arises out of examining data is not necessarily a fact. Hmm? The data is one thing how you interpret it and what, what conjectures you come up with as to what the significance of that data is, you know, is, is, is an extension of, um, of, of what science is in, in, in a basic sense. So for example, among scientists, there are opinions based on different interpretations of the data. So one scientist says this, uh, one scientist says that they could be diametrically opposed. Hmm? So on, on, on what level do we reject or accept um, science, you know? Uh, that's, that's, uh, that's another question. Well, but scientific no. theory and then there's a scientific process. I think those have to be seen yeah. separate yeah so they're different theories um and some of them are better than others and uh new data may come and they may change and so forth but that doesn't mean oh we reject science you know get somebody gets on the computer i don't believe in science well you know you believe in computers <laughs> right and you know there's a lot of science to them <laughs> science and then put in the hands of technology you know so it's kind of uh you know what you see is that devotees reject science when it's not convenient for them and they accept science when it's convenient you know scientific conclusions when it's convenient for them uh that's not critical thinking that's just you know an emotion driven uh life so you know, like look at the pandemic, and so scientists, epidemic, what do they call them? You know, the ones who have this 
field about forget the virology name. yeah those guys they say that masks you know uh will reduce the spread you know by 50 percent so if we say well i don't believe in science I mean, Prabhupada said you know scientists were you know were demons you know Good luck with that. You know, that's not a very well thought out idea. If you say, well, I don't want to wear a mask, I, you know, I should be free. <laughs> that's like saying, why should I stop at red light? You know, I should be free to drive as fast as I want. It's my car. I just mean, it's ridiculous. So there's some pretty ridiculous ideas out there in the name of, you know, not following scientists who are demons. I mean, it, 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 I, I'm sorry, but it's just a pathetic, you know, state of affairs, largely amongst uh, a good number of devotees, uh, maybe the majority in the international community. And uh, they're using their religion as an excuse to be idiots and not to think critically, and not to be fully human even. Hmm? And so things can be misapplied, even good things can be abused, so. So, <laughs> those are some thoughts. Hopefully that's helpful for all of us. That's why I had written something and I objected to the idea. I saw these devotees, they were making the is Mr. Trump like an avatar, you know, God sent worshiping him, doing puja and stuff. Person, you know, and I just, I objected to that. He's not one of the, you know, innumerable avatars by any stretch of the imagination, you know, and then, you know, I mean, well, I could get into it, but then, you know, well, he's against abortion. Well, yeah, as of 2012, he was when he decided to, you know, launch a, political campaign and, and um, get the fundamentalist uh, Christians on his side. And, you know, as far as the United States goes, by the way, if you were to make abortion federally illegal, it would be illegal in different states and Ill illegal in some. It's still going to go on regardless. And by the way, there are less abortions being performed now than there were before abortion was illegal. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's not just this black and white thing, you know. One guy, you know, what's his name, Biden, he's killing babies in the womb. And the other guy is a saint, you know, it's just not like that. It's, these aren't well thought out things. You know, you have a, if you, if you want to live in a social, secular democracy where you have freedom to be the religion that you, that you of your choice, hmm, then you have to let other people have their choice of religion as well, Okay. And you have to have other people who have a choice not to be religious. So your moral compass, which is religious, is not necessarily the moral compass of everybody else. Hmm? Um, so, I mean, I live in the United States. I think it's morally wrong to, uh, to drink alcohol and, and bad for you. That's my, but, it's, but it's legal. You know, I think it's wrong to kill cows, morally wrong, but it's legal everywhere. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things that are, that are, that are, that are, I'm allowed to choose not to do from a moral perspective, 
that others are allowed to choose to do. And is there, and, and well, you might want to be different, but uh, I would want to live in, in a fundamentalist Christian ruled nation, to be honest with you. I mean, what do you think they, they think about Hare Krishna's, you know, I don't, we, uh, so uh, yeah, you know, you want a theocracy with Krishna consciousness, you know, leading the way, great idea. You know, good luck. It's not Tulsi Gabbard, you know, <laughs> you know who was a devotee who ran for, you know, tried to become a presidential candidate. That, that's just silly to think, well, she's going to be the president. Therefore, everything's going to, you know, I mean, so I, you know, I got my opinions about these issues, <laughs> as you can be sure. Um, so, and, you know, yeah, things are complex. Uh, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're, I think they're, they're overarching absolute goods and wrongs. And with on either side, let's say of a political spectrum, there are minor rights and wrongs that are going on at the same, same time. And that's just, you know, like I say, press down here, it goes up here. So it's, that's the nature of the world. You know, so there's some relativity to it, but but some opinions are definitely better than others. Some things are definitely more right than, 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 than others, more correct and better for, um, for people. So, yeah, it's an interesting discussions could be had. And I think devotees uh, sometimes need to have opinions about issues in in the world that are impacting them. And I think that if you look at the history of the great devotees in the the Sampradaya, that they had opinions. And and some of their opinions are, you know, they may be relative to the time and circumstance. And and so for the Prophet's opinions, relative to the time and circumstance and the information available at the time. Mm -hmm. Prophet was suspect initially that people went to the moon. Well, that was like in 1960, whatever it was, you know, it was quite a long time ago. It was a pretty far out idea. And there was a competition between the United States and Russia to who would get to the moon first. So it could have been, you know, it's reasonable at that time to think maybe that, you know, that was uh, a hoax for a political ploy. And that's not unreasonable, but it'd be a little bit unreasonable now when they're putting a 4G network on the moon you know, somebody I saw online said, probably believed in conspiracy theories. Therefore, it's good to believe in conspiracy theories. Well, you know, uh, probably believed in some things, relatively speaking, based on information he had. Yeah, that in time may be shown that, they, that, that those weren't accurate. He was a reasonable person. If he got new information, he would change his opinion. Prophet's not advocating that you believe in crazy, unfounded um, theories. Anyway, you gotta be sensible to be a devotee. You gotta be sensible. You gotta have your two feet on the ground if you wanna jump up and touch the stars. 
So long answer to your long question. And that's that for tonight, for today, for this morning, wherever you are. Thank you very much, all of you. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. So we'll be seeing you tomorrow again. Tomorrow. Okay. Yes, 11.30 um, Eastern Standard Time. And um, if the devotees could stay on for just a, a couple minutes, we have a couple of announcements to make. So, um, so the first announcement is tomorrow we're having um, Guru Maharaj will be speaking on um, Pujapad Sri Maharaj's Tirubhav um, at 11.30 Eastern Standard Time. And the second announcement is next Sunday. Um, we won't be having questions and answers, but we'll be having um, Guru Maharaj speaking on Govardhan Puja. And it will be the same time as our usual Sunday class. That class, at, they were testing out um, simultaneous translation with um, Spanish, for the Spanish devotees. It seemed to go pretty well today. So tomorrow they'll be doing that as well. And we'll be recording also on um, Facebook tomorrow. Um, I don't think it's going to mean that we're going to run out of spaces for people on Zoom since the um, Spanish devotees will be getting on Pamanava Swami's site. So, and then the other, th the other thing I just wanted to um, give is a seva opportunity for all the devotees. Um, many of you probably have heard or saw pictures of the um, damage that was done to Madhavan in this latest tropical storm that came through where a lot of mudslides and roads and water pipes were quite damaged there. And because of COVID, their income has um, diminished quite a bit because they depend on devotees coming and running cabins and Airbnb and the Airbnb that they do as well. So um, it is Kartik and any service we do during Kartik is magnified many times for our spiritual advancement. So if anybody feels that, you know, that they're able to give a, a donation to um, Madhavan, it can be as small or as big as you want it to be, it'll be greatly appreciated. You can do that um, the email that you can send a PayPal donation is daujigopal at madhuvan.net. Um, and that's also going to be on Facebook on Sri Chaitanya Sangha if you need that address. So um, I thank everybody for your participation today. We had some very nice questions. We didn't get to everybody's questions, but the devotees who didn't get their questions answered. Um, it looks like, oh, it looks like, because then the 22nd also we'll be doing a class on Sunday after go past me. So it won't be, in, we won't have questions and answers again until um, the 29th of November. I hope to see everybody tomorrow and for some of the other special days coming up. All right, Jai, Hare Krishna.